1: Hi everyone, and welcome to 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. The two Golden Age radio shows, Escape and Suspense, were radio's leading anthology series of high adventure and drama. With Escape airing on CBS Radio from July 7, 1947 to September 25, 1954, and Suspense continued to 1962. These two shows presented great American-made radio drama, which became the foundation for TV. Radio, as you know, is purely acoustic, with no visual component, and it relied on great scriptwriters and actors to enable the listeners to imagine the characters and the story. It was high drama, great acting, and terrific stories. As one of the shows say, all designed to free you from the four walls of today. Here we offer the very best of escape and suspense. We hope you enjoy this week's presentation. And if you do, send us a kind review for 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. And now, our two stories. Tired of the
2: everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all?
3: We offer you... ESCAPE! ESCAPE! Designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure.
2: Tonight, we escape to the prairie west of the Platte River and to the fighting U.S. cavalry of the Old West, as James Warner Bella describes it in his exciting tale, Command. <laughs>
4: Captain Brittles. Yes, Sergeant. There comes Lieutenant Cole back with the patrol. Yes, I see him. Call the column. Yes, sir. Colum! Fire!
5: Power! Fire! Fire!
4: Hand me my field glasses, Sergeant. Here you are, sir. Thank you. <coughs> hmm.
6: Hmm. Captain Brittles.
7: Well, Mr. Coheel.
6: Here's the best body of grass, sir. This slope with a small run below for water. This is the best bivouac for tonight.
7: Mr. Coyle, you see the rise there to the left behind you across the valley? Yes, sir. What are those shapes lying on that slope?
6: A small herd of buffalo sleeping, it seems. We didn't go that far. We turned back when we saw them.
7: The wind has shifted a bit. Take a deep breath, Mr. Coyle. Yes, sir. Smell anything? No, sir. Take another deep breath, Mr. Coyle. Get it into your nostrils. Tell me if that's... Thing you smell is sleeping buffalo.
6: No, sir. Smells like dead men. And not freshly killed. Lieutenant Gresham and his squad, sir?
7: I imagine so. The men we've come to find. We'll make sure after midnight. Mr. Cohill, there are several fairly obvious differences between the Great Plains and a classroom at West Point. There you can fail and try again. Here you may not have that chance. There they taught you, I'm sure, that accuracy and observation is a military virtue. I suggest that you cultivate it here. Yes, sir. Sergeant back. Yes, sir. This is the bivouac, and on saddle. Night grazing area between the crest of this hill and the creek bottom. Use the picket rope. No individual pins. Yes, sir. Dismount!
5: Dismount! Yes, sir,
6: Captain Brittles. No, sir, Captain Brittles. Of all the officers in the United States Cavalry, why did they have to assign me to him? A handbook soldier, overage in grade, a gray, bitter failure of a soldier, marking time out here on the plains until he retires, taking up space in the table of organization, standing in the way of younger and more aggressive, yes, more capable officers. My father wouldn't be guessing. My father would be over yonder right now to see if those corpses are really Gresham and his men. Father would have made sure, instead of losing time making camp, the broken rattle Sergeant Utterback had found at noon showed clearly. Sir, that broken rattle the sergeant found... Yes, Mr. Coil. When we crossed the trace of that Sioux war party at noon today... That could have been the trail of a Cheyenne
7: war party, or Comanches, or Apaches. They all make rattles like that from the ends of buffalo toes.
6: But if they were, Sioux, they couldn't be more than 30 miles to the north, in the Deadlands. They're afraid of ambush, so they'd be camping away from timber and near water. Two hours rest, and we can be at the upper reaches of the river by dawn, sir, ahead of them.
7: Mr. Cohill, I have no orders to be anywhere by dawn or any other time. My orders are to find Mr. Gresham's patrol. Having found it, return to Fort Stark and report it. I think I found him. I'll know as soon as the moon rises and I go over and take a look. Water the mounts in half an hour. Saddle blankets to be left on until they're warded. Remember always, Mr. Cohill, cavalry is a very delicate arm of the service, depending as it does on the health of a dumb beast. Yes, sir. Mr. Cohill, reading minds is an uncomfortable habit, but one I have never been able to lose. Yes, sir. Look at the other side of it, Mr. Cohill. Suppose that war party was Cheyenne, which they might be instead of Sioux. They wouldn't be in the Deadlands. Cheyennes would head for timber along the lower Mesa Roja, so would Arapahoes, Kiowas, or Comanches. They'd all be of a whack in open timber. And, Mr. Cohill, they all make rattles out of buffalo toes. Yes, sir. Pass the word to Sergeant Nutterback that dinner will be at 6.30, but the bugler will not sound called. Yes, sir. And, Mr. Cohill. Sir? There is no shortcut to the top of the glory heap, so we'll not run all over the west tonight looking for one.
6: But if death in battle is a soldier's path to glory, Mr. Gresham and his patrol had found a shortcut. Yet what we looked upon that night on yonder slope was not glorious. Ten bodies, stripped naked, pin cushioned to the prairie with arrows, their feet and their right hands hacked off. They sold their lives dearly. The empty cartridge cases said that.
4: At least they respected them as fighting
6: men. How's that, Sergeant?
4: Every one of them skin bald headed so he can cross the Shadow Waters without trouble. And whoever did it don't want to fight them again. Why? Hands and feet cut off, that's why, to cripple them in case they meet them in the hereafter. Sergeant? Yes, Captain. Do you still think the Sioux did this? No, sir, not now, sir. Why not? I made the march from Bent's Fort to Santa Fe with Steve Carney. I know an Apache arrow when I see one, sir, even a thousand miles from where they're made. Yes. With that Sioux trail we crossed this morning. That war party could have brushed with an Apache war party and come by Apache arrows that way. I don't think so, sir. This job is two days old. It wasn't that Sioux war party. This is Apache work. How do you figure that? Well, mostly because the captain knows it's Apache work, too. Lieutenant
7: Cohill. Sir. Take the grave detail. Yes, sir. Sergeant. Yes, sir. We shall move the company out 10 to night. Yes, sir. We will return to Fort Stark to report this massacre as fast as we can. Yes, sir.
6: So he's showing me makes his lieutenant first grave digger, and confides his plans to the sergeant in exchange for flattery. He's an old woman in blue fatigues, can't hide his bad temper. And worse, he's a frightened old woman. Instead of striking when he has the advantage, he's gonna cut and run. In a stiff action, I'd probably have to shoot him and take over the command. grave doesn't take long to dig in the soft black earth of the plains. And the rocks were nearby to pile upon the still mounds against the hungry muzzles of coyotes. And after, the air was sweeter in the cold moonlight, and the job done in plenty of time for Captain Brittle's scheduled retreat.
4: Command is ready to mount, sir. Very good, sir.
6: Captain Brittles.
4: Yes, Mr. Coyhill?
6: Excuse me, sir, but can't we go after the Indians who did this? Can't we try it? Mr. Cohill,
7: the United States Cavalry is not out here to fight Indians. We're here to watch them and report on them for the Indian Bureau. We fight only if they attack us. I refer you to the standing orders of the Department of the Platte. They are most explicit on this point.
6: Yes, I know, sir, but Mr. Gresham was attacked. How do you know that? Well, I don't for sure. Of course you don't. But he's dead, and his command dead and mutilated, and we ought to. Ought to what?
7: Avenge him. Disabuse yourself of classroom valor, Mr. Cohill. Out here, we obey orders. Sergeant? Yes, sir. Pass the word to Mount. Yes, sir. I'm Tank. You?
4: Pass the word. Mount.
5: Pass the word. Mount. Pass the word.
6: 30 miles already today, and who knows how many miles ahead of us tonight. The men are tired, the horses are tired. Cavalry is a delicate arm of the service, Captain Brittles. Hour after hour, as the moon threw our lengthening shadows ahead of us. Hour after hour. Walk 30 minutes. Trot 5 minutes. Dismount and lead 10 minutes. Unbid and graze 15 minutes every hour. Hour after hour.
8: You got a chore eating tobacco, Mitten, though? I ain't got much. Well, give me a loan of some, huh? You can get some more at the fort tomorrow. Ah, here. Yeah. Why don't you ever have any of your own? I don't approve that you're on the back. My ma don't, that is. Thanks.
2: God, pray mighty, Gettysburg wasn't like this. Well, do tell. No, sir. We rode up to Gettysburg on the steam cars.
3: Hey, Mittendorf. Sarver's back on Cemetery Ridge again. (laughs) Yeah, pity he didn't stay there. About
8: the only mistake Robert E. Lee ever made. Not to leave Sarver where he found him. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) just the same.
2: The army was the army in them days. Slept in tents, and when you got a furlough, there was girls, not squaws, girls. Yeah,
8: well, if you like it so much, why don't you go backwards,
5: girls?
2: Because I was gold-bricked, that's why. I joined up again because they said there'd be fighting out here. Yeah, fighting. Only fighting I seen west of the Missouris on Saturday nights in the barracks. Yeah, sure ain't like the old army, I'll tell you that. I remember a girl in Richmond. the time when I was with Grant when we took Richmond. Prettiest little Virginia creeper you ever did see. She
4: fried me 43... Sergeant back. Yes, sir. I'd like to ask you a question.
6: Yes, sir. How did you know the captain thought they were Apaches that killed Mr. Gresham's detail?
4: I've been his first sergeant for a long time, sir. You get to know. I see. Do I get to know? Well, sir, this is a different kind of service out here. Like Saver up there was saying a minute ago, this ain't Gettysburg, and ain't full-dress war. But it's the only kind the captain and I ever served in, sir, and Well, you get to know it just like you get to know siege operations or saber charge for company front after you've had enough of it. But during the war between the states didn't... No, sir, neither Captain Brittles nor I saw service in the states, sir. While the North and the South were fighting each other, the West still had to be held, and, well, somebody had to do it. I see.
6: Yes, I see a lot now. That would explain Captain Brittle's contempt for what he calls heroics. He's jealous. He never had his chance at glory. And if he had, I'll wager he would have muffed it. In a way, I feel sorry for the old boy. Sitting a sweaty horse on these endless prairies while the great words exploded across the country. Vicksburg, Chancellorsville, Antietam, Appomattox. The policeman on the corner while history rolled across Georgia to the sea. Five hours on the way now. Less than three hours till dawn. And we're at the North Fork of the Platte. And a full 25 minutes for watering call. Some of the men lie sleeping where they've dismounted. Others huddle together in the moon shadow of the high bank, quietly talking. only one.
8: Then she just left me standing there like a bound boy at a husking. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what'd you do then? I want nothing to do except join the
2: army. <sighs> a little girl in Richmond. Time I was at Grant when we took Richmond. She wasn't at all like that. Not at all.
8: Any you boys ever had a lobster? Nah, Not me.
2: I never even seen one. When I was in the breastworks in front of Vicksburg, I ate a catfish. Didn't like it.
8: I could sure put away a lobster right now. Fresh out of the lobster pot and into the cooking pot. Alive? Sure. That's the only way to cook a lobster. Sure. wish I was back in Whiskaset. I get you back in the state of Maine and you'll be pining away for buffalo steak. Huh? No true word was never spoken. Some
2: people just ain't never satisfied. I ain't never satisfied for a fact. Tell you that. That's how you get someplace in the world, you know that? Never be satisfied. Yeah, sure got you a
8: long way, didn't it? Got me a stripe. Yeah, well, looks like you can plan on getting even further, Silver. Captain's getting fidgety again. Oh, well, another day,
4: another dollar. All right, men, fall in.
5: Uh, here we go, man.
4: Prepare to mount, pass the word. Prepare to mount, pass the word. <laughs> mount. Mount. Right <Mount>. <laughs> step forward. I'll step forward. Step forward. Hands! Yo! Yo.
6: He's heading north. How's that, Sergeant? North. Captain's heading north. You're right, Sergeant. Red Mesa should be to our left. Instead, it's dead ahead. That doesn't make any sense. Yes, sir. My father would have done things differently. In the cold, dying moonlight, I could imagine him. Young Major Cohill, riding out of St. Joe to convoy the wagon trains bound west on the Oregon Trail. What a figure he must have been on the old frontier, when the Missouri River itself was the jumping-off place. Killer Cohill, his men had called him, but the wide-roaming Arapahos had another name for him. Blue Devil with Eyes in the Back of His Head. By this time, Father would have cut those Apaches into coyote meat as they lay sleeping around their smoldering campfire. Mr. Kyle? Mr. Kyle, sir. uh, Yes, Sergeant? Were you dozing, sir? Uh, No, no, of course not. I was just thinking. Captain Brittles wants you, sir, at the head of the column. Thank you, Sergeant. Sergeant Utterback said you wanted me, sir.
7: Yes, Mr. Cohill, I do. This is officer's call. Listen carefully. I have Sergeant Sutro ahead of me with a point. You will relieve him with eight men and push forward fast. Yes, sir. You recall the ford across Red Mesa Wash? Yes, sir. We crossed it yesterday. Exactly. There's a knoll on the east side of the wash. A knoll that is crossed by the trail from the top of the Mesa. I remember, sir. Beyond that knoll before dawn. Build a bivouac fire as soon as you arrive. Do what, sir? Build a fire. I want to know when you get there. But well, I
6: can send a scout back to tell you when I arrive.
7: I want everyone else for miles around to know it, too. Build a bivouac fire. A squad fire, no larger. Yes, sir. Should you happen to be attacked, you're to hold that knoll fighting on foot. And remember, the dawn light works for you, but it can fool you in this country. So don't shoot till the last possible moment.
6: I don't understand.
7: You don't have to. You have your orders. Yes, sir. Move out, Mr. Cohill. You're the bait on my hook wriggle
3: in just a moment we will return to the second act of escape but first look what's cooking on CBS tomorrow night George Burns will for the first time unveil his sugar throat voice when the Andrews sisters come to call on him and Gracie Bing Crosby will go west, young man, go west. For William Boyd, alias Hopalong Cassidy, will be Bing's special guest. And Bing will become Sagalong to team up with Hopalong for a hilarious western sketch. You'll also hear the antics of top comedian Groucho Marx and another Dr. Christian drama tomorrow night. So make Wednesday nights a Stay Tuned to CBS Night, for these great shows are heard on most of these same CBS stations. And now, back to... Escape!
6: You knew Red Mesa was there only because the star stopped where it stood. The moon was a honey-colored ladle spilling blackness over the edge of the plains. Then the jagged teeth of the Rockies broke it into ragged pot and it was gone. It was dark. Black dark, cold dark. The squad fire sputtered and took and pushed the night back a little. This was different. This was command. This was the final moment of the soldier's heritage to stand ready to fire and be fired upon, to kill and be killed. And it wasn't at all like you expected. It just plumb scared you. Hey, don't stand still, Mittendorf. Keep moving a little all the time. And slap those mounts. Keep them moving, too. Yes,
2: Hey, Lieutenant.
6: <coughs> sir? Uh, yes, sir.
2: Uh, how come that captain sent us up here to sashay around the top of this little hill?
6: Well, uh, he said we're the bait on his hook. Huh? The decoy. If there's an Indian war party, we're to draw them out. Uh, better put on some bacon to fry, Lusk. Make it look natural.
2: Yes. Meaning we uns may end up like Mr. Gresham and his patrol? There's always
6: that possibility.
2: Mm. Tain't a prospect that pleases, sir. That's
6: what a soldier lives for, Sarber. To die.
2: It is? Uh, I mean, yes, sir.
6: It was a good performance. To any watching Sioux or Apache, here was a small white soldier war party. Like the two yesterdays' party, they had left lying scalpless in the buffalo grass 30 miles up the valley. Firelighted, bacon cooking, horses unsaddled, and warriors sleeping from a long night march. Soft for the killing, only the warriors weren't sleeping. Beyond the yellow carpet of firelight, they lay fanned out behind their saddles, waiting. Waiting. Sorting the night sounds with straining ears, pushing at the soft wall of darkness with widened eyes.
8: Sure wish those dad burned coyotes didn't sound so much like human beings. Well, you really can be sure of one thing. No Indians running around in the middle of the night yelling like a coyote. Yeah, but it sure makes me nervous.
3: Sound like hootie owls back home in
8: Maine. Hey, what's that behind you?
2: Don't no get in a fret, boys. It's only me. Oh. General Grant's chief of staff.
8: You know you're lucky I didn't put a bullet through you? Nah,
2: nah, you wouldn't do that. Lieutenant said not to fire till commanded.
8: Any of you fellas ever at engine pudding?
2: What? No. I ate sweet potato pudding when I was with Sherman in Atlanta, but I didn't like it much. Was you with Napoleon at Waterloo? Nope, but I've been talking to
8: Lieutenant. Naturally. What's the word from headquarters? made of cornmeal and molasses. What? Indian pudding. Oh. Seen
2: any savages yet? No, and don't expect to yet. Why? There ain't an Indian
8: in the west of the Missouri that'll come out and fight at night if he can help it. That's right. They're afraid to take a chance of being killed at night. They believe if a warrior's killed at night, he'll be blind when he gets to the happy hunting grounds. Well, then what are we worrying about? Who's worrying? (laughs) Not me. Oh, Then you can start worrying. Dawn's coming. Can make out the mesa plainer. Sure would like some engine pudding for breakfast.
6: Slowly, the light came. First, you could see the outline of the mesa. Then down below, the silver of the water in the wash. Then the shapes of the men. And out across the plain, the feathers of mist in the draws. If it was to come, it would come now. Hold your firemen. Arrows. They're shooting arrows. What do you expect? They're Indians. What would you hit? Hit one of the horses. Here they come. Hold your fire. Hold
2: it. Fire! They are Apaches. I got one of the heathen. I got two. Look at them lying yonder. Yeah, one of them's still wriggling. I'll fix that. Hold your fire! Well, I was just...
6: They'll be back. That was only the beginning. Yes, sir. You all right, Coffin? My leg, sir. (sighs) Bone shattered. Hurt much? A little, sir. Those arrows, you're wicked. Let's
8: go right through a man, if they don't hit bone. Do tell. No action in the new army, I saw
2: Well, it ain't exactly like Gettysburg.
6: Here they come again. Hold fire. Yeah, light's better this time. Makes no difference. Hold your fire. They're the ones you did, Mr. Gresham. Look, that one's wearing corporal shivers. And, and here's one with a U.S. Cavalry
2: seat. That's Captain Gretels. That's what I want to know. Most <laughs> likely having breakfast at the fort. Decoy. We're just... Fire!
8: Man. I took care of almost half of them. Yeah, they'll be back. No. No, they won't. That's Captain Brittle's now. Yeah, attacking from the flank. Hey, servant Captain Brittles has got him on a run. Say, can you pull this tarnation error out of me?
6: Down below the knoll, the remains of the Apaches were streaking for the open plains, with Captain Brittle's men overtaking them, cutting them down with thirsty sabers, and pistoling the ponies as they ran. And then it was quiet and not an Indian or his pony was left alive. Coffin sat, propped up against a saddle, lighting his pipe, his shattered leg stretched naked and useless before him. And Sarver lay where he had fallen, eyes closed, face blue, his hands around the shaft sunk deep in his left side below the ribs the feathered tip waving idly with each shallow breath. Can't we do something for him, sir? What? Look how deep that arrow is. Right under the heart. Can't cut it out, can't pull it through. Yeah, poor Simon. He finally saw action.
8: Yeah. I can hear him now telling St. Peter about the time he beat the Apaches on the cohill. It's not very funny. No, I guess you're right, Coffin. How's your leg? Paining you much? Can't feel anything. Lieutenant. Yes,
6: Coffin. You think they'll send me back home to get this fixed? You think maybe I'll get to see the state of Maine right soon? I hope so, Coffin.
8: Land of Goshen, no. You won't get further than the base hospital to Council Bluffs. I'll wire you together, slap a plaster on you, and send you right back to fight Indians.
6: was a strange feeling, a mixture of pride and guilt, watching a man die whom I had commanded into action, looking at the shattered leg of another, and a feeling of helplessness, too. For the moment, we could only sit there and wait. Our horses were dead or stampeded by the action. We were alone on our little hilltop in the hot red glare of the rising sun. And then the company rode back in triumph. I was reporting to Captain Brittles, and it seemed like months instead of hours since I had last looked at his tired, gray face. Mr. Cohill, you did that well. You may do in time. Captain, you knew they were Apaches yesterday at sundown, and you knew they were camped on top of the mesa, didn't you, sir? Mr. Cohill, accuracy
7: and observation is a military virtue. Had you pushed forward to that slope yesterday afternoon, you would have found Mr. Gresham, not Sleeping Buffalo. And had your eyes been sharp you would have found this between the slope and last night's bivouac.
6: An Apache headband.
7: That's right, and bloodstained. And had you been a plainsman and suspected Apaches, you would have looked at once for smoke at sundown from the highest ground. In this case, Red Mesa. You had me fooled, sir. I even thought... The f- facts for the record are these. My patrol, temporarily bivouacked at dawn today, came under a sudden enemy attack.
6: Fortunately, was able to hold until I arrived with the main body. I understand perfectly, sir. I'm familiar with departmental orders which allow defensive actions only and expressly forbid attack.
7: And yet, they are in direct violation of cavalry tactics. The cavalry is extremely weak on the defensive and can only defend well by attacking. I believe that is also taught at West Point.
6: Captain, I'm terribly sorry for Mr. My...
7: Cohill, never apologize. It is a mark of weakness. There's a captain out here who tried at once to escape an inquiry board. He escaped it, but he will die a captain, in spite of his apology. The officer who sought to it could have worked with him and made a soldier of him, if his humanity had been large enough. Mr. Cohill, I'm going to make a soldier out of you. You may present my respects to General Cohill when next you write your father. Mr. Cohill, take morning stables.
3: Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. Tonight we have presented Command by James Warner Bella, adapted for radio by Mr. Robeson. Featured in the cast were Elliot Reed as Lieutenant Cohill, Bill Johnstone as Captain Brittles, and Ted DeCorsia as Sergeant Utterback. Also heard were Sam Edwards, Tony Barrett, Bert Holland, and Paul Freeze. Special music was arranged and conducted by Del Castillo. Next week...
2: You are standing on an unfinished roadbed somewhere in Mexico. It is night, and a drunken, murderous foreman is forcing you to dig till you drop. The 45 in his hand means that for you, there can be no escape.
3: Gracie Allen's campaign to make George Burns a real singing rival to Bing Crosby, his Wednesday night neighbor on CBS, is reaching its climax. Tomorrow night, backed by the beauty and talent of not one, but all three Andrews sisters, George Sugar Throat Burns will definitely try out his tonsils and song. Bing or Sugar Throat, it's really no choice for CBS fans, for you can hear each Sugarthroat following Bing every Wednesday night on most of these same CBS stations. Now stay tuned for Hit the Jackpot, which follows immediately over most of these same stations. This is CBS, where you'll find adventure in escape every Tuesday night. The Columbia Broadcasting System.
0: This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator
2: Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all?
3: We offer you Escape. Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure.
9: It all started on the bus just outside of Dallas. The sailor who had snored beside me since Memphis got off and the big fat guy got on. He overflowed into my half of the seat. And for sound effect, he ate one apple after another. He must have bought him by the sack. Hey, fella, do you mind? Mm-hmm. My top coat? Mm. I'd like to have it pressed, but I prefer a tailor to do it. Mm. Mm. I pulled the coat out from under him. He'd smashed my carton of cigarettes almost flat. From then on, I held the coat in my lap. In my mind, he was symbolic of everything connected with this trip and with my life. Second-rate, middle-class, mediocre. I was on my way to Hollywood. Yeah, I'm an actor, under personal contract to Henry Slafta, big director. Oh, it sounds impressive, but it isn't. It's one of those insignificant stock contracts with short options and shorter dough. I should have turned it down, but I was flat broke, on my heels. That's why, when I found the money, I did what I did.
2: Okay,
10: folks, we are stopping here for 15 minutes.
9: Another stop, chance to stretch. Well, I had a cup of coffee and a spud nut in the depot, and I was starting back to the bus when I saw him, my apple-chewing friend. Two men with cop written all over him were leading him out of the bus. It was a pinch. I wondered why they'd picked him up. I really didn't care why they took him as long as he didn't come back. Now I had the seat to myself. But he'd done me a final courtesy. He'd knocked my topcoat onto the floor and walked on it.
5: Okay, everybody on. Let's go.
9: From then on into El Paso, he was the topic of conversation. He
11: didn't look like a criminal to me. My dear, didn't you hear what the bus driver said? The man's a counterfeiter, one of the smartest ones in the country. The police have been after him for ages.
12: A counterfeiter? How exciting. I must get off at El Paso and send a postcard back to Madge. Won't she be thrilled for me?
9: Counterfeiter. Well, that's the last thing I would have pegged him for.
2: El Paso.
9: El Paso. And Hollywood's still 24 long hours away. well, Economy or no economy, I wasn't going to go on. I was dead tired. Saddle sore from three days and nights on that bus. So I switched my ticket to the following day and I hunted up a cheap hotel. The bellhop there was full of helpful ideas on how I could spend the evening.
5: Well,
10: uh, how about Juarez, mister?
9: Juarez, huh?
10: Yeah, old Mexico, just across the International Bridge.
9: Oh, yeah. I'd forgotten that this is a border town. No, no thanks. I just want to get some sleep.
10: Sure, mister. It's up to you.
9: I tipped the kid and stretched out on the bed. I dug in my pocket for a cigarette, but I was out, so I reached into my top coat for the carton. That's when I found it. A package of money, a lot of money, all in 50s and 100s, nice, clean, fresh bills. I counted them fast, $15,000 worth. So that's why I found my coat on the floor of the bus. Fatso had stashed his homemade money in my pocket. Why, the lousy... I'd fix his wagon, planning it on me. Operator, give me the FB... Uh, no. No, never mind. Wait a minute. Why should I? If I turned it in, I might get involved, and I couldn't afford to. When I got to Hollywood, I'd... Hollywood. Boy, what an entrance I could make into that town if all this dough were only real. I could just picture the look on Henry Slapped His Face if I flew into Hollywood with a new wardrobe, stopped at the ambassador, took a suite, made a big splash. Yeah, if only the dough were real. Well, I couldn't sleep now, I was too stirred up, so I took a shower and changed my clothes and went out. I didn't have anything particular in mind, but since the hotel was near the International Bridge, I went over into Juarez, and I wasn't quite sure why I did it, but in my pocket was one of the $50 bills. I went up and down the cheap main drag sampling tequila and brushing off vendors of hirazzis and leather dolls, just like the rest of the tourists. But all the time, that $50 bill was burning a hole in my pocket. It was in a small bar, a crummy place called El Serapi, that I finally took a chance. I'd had a couple of tequila daisies, and each time I'd given the waiter a half a buck. This time I handed him the fifty dollar bill. I held my breath. And suddenly I knew I'd been a fool. He didn't put it in the cash registers. He had the other money. Instead, he went down to the end of the bar and handed it to a man sitting there, obviously an American. He took it, looked at it, and then had the waiter point me out. I got up out of the booth and started for the street, but the American caught me at the door.
8: I'm uh, Chuck Rice.
9: I'm the manager. Yeah. Hiya. You give this fifty dollar bill to the waiter. Uh, oh, yeah. I guess I forgot to wait for my change, huh?
8: You don't want to go around for getting money like this. Just visiting? Yeah, Tourist. You know, you're taking a big chance. You're setting yourself up like a pigeon. Well, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Uh, don't get excited, amigo. This is border town. That's all. So. The wrong people might get the idea that you're carrying more bills like this. Yeah, well, I'm not... Yeah, sure, sure. But if you were, I uh, I could put you in touch with most anything. Maybe a little gambling.
9: We could fix you up with a little game. Uh-uh. Anything you want to buy, I can get it for you. No, I don't want to buy anything. But uh, suppose I wanted to sell something. Sell? Uh-huh. Well, that's a little tougher. I'd, uh, I'd have to see a sample. You got it, mister, right there in your hand. I was taking a crazy chance, but I've kicked around Broadway long enough to know a contact man when I run into one, and Chuck Rice was definitely shady. He stood there scowling, turning the bill over and over in his hand. Oh, so that's why you wanted to walk out on your change, huh? Thought I had it spotted. You,
8: uh, you got more like this? Yeah. On you? No, I'm not
9: that much of a pigeon. How much more? Enough. You want to dump it? Maybe, with the right kind of a deal. Uh-uh.
8: Here's your 50 back. I don't know for nothing about this kind of commodity. Well, I didn't pay
9: for the drink. It's all right. It's in the house. Your money's no good here. Eh? I took the 50 and put it in my pocket. I shrugged and hoped my indifference went over. I was almost to the street when he called after me.
8: Hey, amigo. Huh? I, uh, was just wondering.
9: How much you got? Why?
8: Well, if you got enough, maybe Nieves would be interested. Nieves. Who's Nieves? Down here, we don't ask questions like that. You go to the cab stand on the corner. Ask for Miguel. Tell him you want to see Nieves. Tell him Chuck Rice sent you. Only, this time, amigo, if you want to do business, you better have the dough on you.
9: Miguel. Hey, I'm talking to you. What's the idea? You keep going around in circles. Can't sobby, senor. Can't sabby my foot. I want to go to Nieves.
12: Si, senor. See si, Nieves. Well, let's get
9: going. Never mind the sightseeing. Miguel was driving down dark back alleys and dirt roads. I couldn't tell which direction we were going, and I'm sure that was the idea. But we were getting further and further out of town. I was beginning to wish I didn't have the money on me. But I hadn't gone back to the hotel for it when Miguel suddenly pulled off the road into a ruddy, gopher-hole courtyard of a broken-down hacienda. It was littered with debris. I stumbled over a peg. His squeals woke a bunch of chickens roosting on a fence. And then I saw her. She was lying in a canvas hammock, one bare foot hanging over the side, deep in the enjoyment of an oversized cigarette. She seemed to sleep, except for the rhythmic puffs of smoke. She never opened her eyes all the time I was there. of us? Yes. Sí. Uh, Chuck Rice sent me. He thought we might be able to work out a deal. I got some money. I want to sell it. Chuck Rice said that you might handle it. You hear me? Sí. I got $15,000 American in 50s and 100s.
11: How much you want?
9: Well, what'll you give me? How much? Well, I figure 5000 would be fair.
11: No touch. What? If that's all you want, I no touch. Why? Too hot.
9: Well, if you think it's worth more.
11: No touch.
9: Okay, no touch. Come on, Miguel. Si,
8: senor.
12: Senor?
9: Yeah?
12: Otul. how is was that? Otul, maybe
11: he buy...
9: O'Toole? Where's O'Toole?
11: Oh, Miguel, no.
12: Si, senor. Come, I will take you.
9: Well, your English is improving, Miguel. Maybe your sense of direction will improve, too. And it did. As the crow flies, so did we. Straight to O'Toole's Dine and Dance. A gaudy tourist trap hypoed on the outside with neon signs advertising the best food and music in Juarez while inside, five Latin beboppers were making hash out of Embraceable You. Miguel okayed me to a squint-eyed character who reluctantly led me down a hall, up a steep flight of stairs, and we stopped in front of a door. Come in. Behind a huge red-lacquered desk sat a handsome Chinese in a dinner jacket smoking a long black cigar.
12: Ah, uh-huh. Good evening. What can I do for you? A drink, perhaps? No, no thanks. I came to see O'Toole. Yes? I am O'Toole.
9: You, O'Toole?
12: As <laughs> one of those cliques of nature. I wear my mother's face and my father's name. Oh, well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean anything. Well, oh, think nothing of it, Mr. Smith. Yeah, Smith. Now, you have something you wish to sell? That's all right. May I see the money? Money? How did you know? Fifteen thousand dollars, as I understand it. How much do you want for it? Uh, Six thousand. You told Nieves. Five. Nieves? Oh, you surprised I know about that. Huh? Chuck Rice always sends them out to the country to see Nieves before they come to me. Now, let me see the money. All of it. Sure. Here. Look, I'll I'll
9: take the five. I'll give you... Oh,
12: oh, now, wait a minute. There's 15,000 there. You won't have any trouble passing it in Mexico. I know that. I also know that when this kind of money turns up in this part of the world, it means only one thing. I am your last resort. Well, Mr. Smith?
9: Yeah, give me the 4,000. He went to the safe, got the money, and paid me. I got out of his office. Well, maybe I should have held out for more, but he gave me the creeps. Besides, any way you look at it, 4000 a lot of money. I could knock Henry, slapped his eyes out with less than that. Downstairs in the club, the floor show was on, when a Adagio team was going through its calisthenics. I was just passing the bar when she bumped into me. <sighs>
11: Hello, Charlie.
9: No, I'm not Charlie.
11: Oh, sure you're Charlie. You gotta be Charlie. Go on, beat it. Ah, come on. Don't be a sucker. We're being watched.
9: Well, So what am I supposed to do?
11: Be smart. Buy me a drink.
9: Look, I told you, I'm not interested.
11: Interested in getting out of here alive?
9: What kind of a crack is that?
11: You see squint eyes over there by the entrance? Well, he's not the doorman.
9: Come on, look. What's this all about?
11: Oh, two. He wants back whatever it is he gave you.
9: I'll buy you that drink. Come on.
11: Make it Scotch. Yeah. Uh,
9: bartender, two Scotch and sodas. All right. Now tell me why you're interested.
11: I'm supposed to knock you out. Your what? Those two drinks you just ordered. Yours will be loaded. And not with Romo to cure your cold. Ever hear a knockout drops, tourist?
9: Yeah, sure, but I don't get it. What are you telling me for?
11: I don't know. Maybe because you're from my side of the border. Maybe because you don't look like the kind of scum that usually comes in this joint.
9: All right. So my drink's going to be loaded. And Squint Eyes is over to the front door to make sure I don't get away. I don't have much choice, do I?
11: Yeah, you do. I'm going to help you. Help me? After the drink hits you, I'm supposed to get you out the back door into the alley and then roll you. Well,
9: now, that'll be a big help.
11: But I'm not going to. Quiet. Here come the drinks.
9: All right, what do I do now?
11: When I reach around you for the ashtray, they won't be able to see you. Switch the drinks. You drink mine. Yeah, but how about you? They don't expect me to drink it. Yeah, but you... Now, switch them. Get it down. Drink it. In a minute, pretend you're dizzy. I'll help you get to the alley. And when you get there, you better run, brother. And run fast.
9: Squint eyes had left the door and was coming toward the bar, so I did what she told me. After I'd gulped the drink down, I sat on the stool a couple of minutes, and I pretended to get dizzy. She helped me off the stool, put my arm around her shoulder. We were almost to the door, almost to the alley. It was just perfect, except for one thing. I was dizzy. My stomach turned over and over, and I passed out cold.
3: In just a moment, we will continue with Escape. But first... A lot's been said about the Sunday night entertainment on CBS, and rightly so. But take a look down the CBS listings during the entire week, and you'll find there's no let-up in the parade of all-star shows. Tomorrow, Wednesday night, and every Wednesday night, Bing Crosby, Groucho Marx, Burns and Allen, and Gene Hirschholt as the beloved Dr. Christian are heard on most of these same CBS stations. Dick Hames and the Andrews sisters, Jack Smith and Dinah Shore are also on hand in their early evening quarter-hour programs. Make a habit of listening to CBS all through the week. And now we return you to the second act of... Escape.
9: The smells were the same. Beer, tequila, stale black tobacco. But the sound had changed. There'd been music before. My stomach burned and my head throbbed somebody was lying across me i raised up tried to focus my eyes but i couldn't gradually i placed the sound it was some kind of a car a bus no a truck i was lying on the floor in the back of a truck and there was a man lying across me from the stench of him he must have been drunk for a week but from the inert way he lay he could have been dead i pushed him off and shook him
10: hey, hey. <coughs> Where are we going?
9: What is this? Hey, hey, come
10: on, wake up, will you?
9: Listen to me. Then I suddenly remembered the money. The $4,000, it was gone. I was clean, broke. I'd been rolled all right and by a dame who even told me before she did it. Then I saw the rest of them. The truck was a big van, and it was loaded, packed with the dregs of border town, a sodden human cargo. All of them filthy, bleary-eyed. But one of them looked awake and reasonably sober. Hey, you, you over there. You speak English?
8: Ah, si, senor.
9: Well, what happened? What are we doing here?
8: We all fall drunk, senor. It's no good to fall drunk. You go to Hensler's. Hensler's? Jay.
9: Sí. What are you talking about?
8: Oh, caray. No es bueno. Oh, I have been there before. I should know not to fall drunk. Oh, one whole month I have been there. Ese lugar es muy feo. Oh.
9: You've been where before? Where are they taking us? Tell me.
8: To Hensler's. Oh, he's a very bad man.
9: Hensler's? Well, who's Hensler?
8: Oh, you're going to see, senor. You will see.
9: That's all I could get out of him. We were going to Hensler's, and it wouldn't be good. And it sounded like I was about to find out.
10: All right, you guys, come on, the party's over. Hey, Miller, move these creeps along. Come on.
5: Well,
10: you guys don't look like no bunch of daisies, but we'll make you bloom, won't we, Miller? <laughs>
9: He was a brute of a man, and he carried a 45 in a holster. He and the driver, Miller, herded us out of the truck like so many cattle. It was some sort of a road gang. I saw a sign blocking the road that read, Under Construction, Hensler Construction Company. Well, I had no idea where we were, how far away from the border. The landscape was dry, dusty, barren.
10: Well, Gonzalez, you with us again? Didn't we learn you not to get drunk, huh? <laughs> come on, you guys, step on it.
9: All right, quit shoving. Come on, come...
10: Now, what are you doing here?
9: Yeah, that's what I'd like to know.
10: Miller! How many times I got to tell you to be careful or you pick up? Now, oh, wait a minute, Jake.
8: Don't get sore before I tell Don't you. Don't you know
10: we can get in plenty of trouble picking up the wrong guys? I didn't pick him up. O'Toole
12: threw him in. O'Toole?
10: Shut up, you. What O'Toole wish him on us for? Little
8: Hensler hears about you.: to... Yeah, well, O'Toole has already talked with Hensler. He says this fellow will not give us any trouble. He is an embezzler. The police are looking for
9: him. You're crazy.
8: He came
12: across the board to sell some money he had stolen from a bank or something. He must be plenty hot. He was willing to drop 15000 real dough for 4000 cash.
9: Real dough? What are you talking about? That was counterfeit I sold O'Toole.
10: Listen, buddy, I don't know what your racket is, but nobody fools O'Toole about money.
9: But it can't be real money. It was counterfeit, I tell you. It had to be. Look, I, I want to see Hensler. You
10: talk to me or you talk to nobody? But I got to
9: see Hensler. I got to get back to Juarez.
10: Huh? Oh? Did you hear that, Miller? He's got to get back to Juarez.
9: <laughs> All right, look, you can't push me around. I'm an American.
10: Oh, he's an American. Well, send this to your congressman. Ooh. Okay, American. Get on your feet. Get a pick and start working.
9: Hensler Construction Company. Just another name for a chain gang. I never saw Hensler, he wasn't there. But in the next week, I got to know Jake, all right. I got to hate him. He drove us from dawn till dark, digging a roadbed by hand, pick and shovel, in the hot sun, in the dust, without rest. But worse than the physical torture was the thought that gave me no rest. I'd sold O'Toole real money. For now, I realized I'd never really had any proof that the fat man was a counterfeiter. I just jumped to that conclusion. The bus driver... No, not the bus driver. A a woman on the bus said that the bus driver said it, and it it drove me crazy just thinking about it. Real money, $15,000. I'd had it in my hand, and I'd thrown it away. I had to escape. I had to. There'd been a man in the truck who said he'd been here before, so he must have gotten away somehow. He could help me. Uh, you're the man that was here before... I am Gonzalez. All right, you got away the other time, didn't
8: you? I see. But I am back. And this time, I don't try to go.
9: Well, how did you go? How'd you get out? Well, there is a
8: highway. There is where?
9: You...
8: Four mile, five mile. Many cars pass there. Just uh... four or five miles? That's nothing. Oh, maybe it sound nothing to you, senor. But those are bad miles to go. Ooh, good
9: Only four or five miles. Over that way, he told me. Through the ravine. Well, I thought about it all that day and I planned that I'd try it that night. But when we got back to camp, I was too dog-tired even to eat. I just flopped on the hard earth and fell asleep. It seemed that I'd just closed my eyes when I was shaken awake. Hey.
10: Huh? Hey! Uh, Get up, American. Uh, Get on your feet.
9: Huh?
10: I got a little job for you.
9: Oh, leave me alone, Jake. I'm tired.
10: Get up! Uh, You're on overtime. <laughs>
9: murderously drunk. He had a bottle of whiskey in one hand and his 45 in the other. So I got up off the ground. All around me, the men were sleeping. If they heard him, they didn't pay any attention. He marched me down to the road bed and threw a pick at me.
10: There. I'll start digging.
9: But it's the middle of the night. Look, I'm dead.
10: I gotta finish the road. Start digging, I said.
9: What are you picking on me for, Jake? Why me?
10: You gonna start digging or I start shooting?
9: So I dug. I dug till my hands were bleeding and my lungs were scalded with the effort of breathing. He sat alongside the road, knocking off that fifth of whiskey and riding me every time I faltered. He was just mean drunk enough to kill me if I stopped. So I dug and I dug. Finally I couldn't go out anymore. I was too tired to care. I dropped the pick and fell onto the road. My face was in the dirt. I lay there panting waiting for the bullet. When it didn't come, I turned my head, and what I saw gave me new life. Jake was sprawled out, dead, drunk, and the 45 had slipped from his hand onto the ground. It was my chance. I hardly had enough strength left to move, but I knew if I didn't go then, it'd be too late. I'd never get away. I crawled over to him, and I got the gun, and somehow, I got down the road and through that ravine, stumbled and crawled those hideous miles of the highway. And then I heard it way down the road. It was a car. I ran out like a madman and flagged it down.
10: Come on to you, Stead.
9: Give me a ride, will you?
10: Oh, hello. you're an American, huh? Going back to the States? Yeah. Well, hop in.
9: I leaned back against the seat, shut my eyes, and slept all the way into Juarez.
10: Well, here you are. You said O'Toole's dying and dance. Sure I can't wait for you?
9: No, no, thanks. Just the same, but I got some business to take care of.
10: Okay,
5: good luck.
9: $15,000 worth of business, and Jake's 45 in my pocket to guarantee the deal. I went around to that back door and slipped in quietly, and then crept down the hall and up the stairs that Squint Eyes had led me before. This time I entered O'Toole's office without knocking. Hello, O'Toole.
12: Oh, I didn't expect you back so soon. Sit down. Can I get you something?
9: Yeah, you can. Fifteen thousand bucks.
12: Afraid I don't understand. We made a deal... Why didn't
9: you tell me the money was real, not counterfeit, huh?
12: Well, you seem to know what you were doing, and remember, you placed the value on the money. I did not. Yeah, well, I've just revalued it. I want it back, all of it. We made a deal, and I paid you, and I'm through with you. And you rolled me. How you lost the money I paid you is no concern to me. All right, then look, then maybe this will be some concern to you. I took enough punishment to get this gun,
9: not to hesitate to use it. Now get the money while you're still alive.
12: Huh. Ah. That won't be necessary. How about, uh, 10,000? Look, don't stall. 15. But I should be allowed to realize some profit. Hurry up, O'Toole. I haven't got all day. I'll have to open this. Then open it. Will you... Take it in 10s and 20s. Now, look you, I
9: don't care how you give it to me. So long as it's American money. Now, quit stalling and get it. I didn't trust him. I expected any minute he'd pull something fast, but he didn't. He gave it to me. I never realized before the power of a gun. It makes short men tall and tall men strong.
12: Here you are.
9: Thanks. Now I could fly to Hollywood and have that suite at the ambassador and throw a cocktail party, a big party. I'd show him. First, I stopped at the best men's shop in Juarez and got myself outfitted. An important English tweed suit, cashmere top coat, couple of dozen shirts, and I threw away my old clothes.
3: There will be something else, senor.
9: Uh, I'll take that alligator suitcase, too.
3: Uh, si, senor, but you must remember when you go through customs, you must declare the clothes you are wearing. I have to report this. Oh, sale. sure,
9: sure, don't worry. And uh, these neckties? Si, senor. I paid him was more than I'd spent on clothes in 10 years. I put $500 in my wallet and stashed the rest of the money away in my suitcase. Then I went to the American Club for a good dinner. Now I was all set to make my entrance. All I needed was a plane reservation for Hollywood. I was just going through customs when he ran up.
12: That is the man... Stop him. It was the Stop clerk from the men's shop. shop, gesturing wildly. The customs
9: official listened, and then he came back to me. I'm sorry, sir, but i have to detain you. What? Uh, your wallet, if you please. Oh, wait, I didn't buy the wallet from him. If you please, sir, give it to me. Okay, but it's just an American Hickok wallet, I tell you.
4: I'm not interested in the wallet itself, sir. I well, we shall see. There. You see? Did I not tell you? Look. Look, all of it. What are you guys doing with my money? You admit this is your money, mister? Of course it is. Then I'm sorry, you'll have to come with me. But why? Because, mister, all the money in your wallet is counterfeit.
3: Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. Tonight we have presented Border Town by John and Gwen Bagney. Featured in the cast were Jack Webb as Evan, Bill Conrad as Jake... Ben Wright as O'Toole, Tony Barrett as Rice, and Jeanette Nolan as Nieves. Also heard were Ted DeCorsia, Paul Fries, B. Benaderet, Jerry Hausner, and Harry Bartell. Special music was arranged and conducted by Del Castillo. Next week.
2: You are on a train from Rajahore to Calcutta. With you is a fabulous jewel, the most sought-after emerald in the world, in whose depths are mirrored terror and violence. And for you, there
3: is no escape. It's a proven surefire formula for better living. If we all work together to produce more per man, per machine, per hour, we all move together toward the benefits in living that are possible only under the American economic system. The better we produce, the better we live. For your free copy of the booklet, Miracle of America, write Box 10, Times Square Station, New York. Stay tuned now for Hit the Jackpot, which follows immediately over most of these stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
1: Thank you for joining us at 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. This is your host, John Hagedorn, We try to alternate weeks with two episodes of Escape, one week, followed by two episodes of Suspense the following week. New episodes of 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense are available every Sunday at noon Eastern time. We always appreciate reviews. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next
0: week. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.